Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters Podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Christopher, and I am here again with Tom. How you been, Tom? Good. How are you, sir? Not too bad. A little tired today. Uh, it's been just one of those crazy kind of weeks. It's been that crazy kind of year. But... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, the bar is getting reset, I think, <laughs> as far as crazy goes. But hey, man, welcome to 101. Oh, that's right. Yeah, episode 101. Thank you. Yeah, pretty exciting. We do have some un- very unfortunate news. This just happened at uh, the beginning of the week that we recorded. This happened on the 13th, I think, of July. Mm-hmm. Big surprise. Grant Imahara passed away of a brain aneurysm at the age of 49. Everyone will know him from Mythbusters, probably, is where they're going to know him most from. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the poor, uh, quote-unquote, human guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the build team. Yes. Oh, he was just a fantastic engineer. He was a roboticist, uh, electrical engineer. Some of the creations and some of the things he came up with that he had to come up with to bust these myths. You know, I remember one, like, they're trying to see if they could, uh, like, curb bullet you know, around the target. And so he had to come up with like a robot that could flick the gun as it fired. <laughs> An incredibly dangerous contraption. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was an incredible, I mean, talk about a little bit of a charmed life. He gets a post-graduation gig. He comes right out of college and gets a gig at Lucasfilm. Right. And right at the time where I think they were starting to do work on the, uh, the prequels. Mm-hmm. And so he actually gets to help build like the new R two D two. Yeah, no, he worked on R two. Yeah, and that that takes him on to all kinds of stuff. He worked on the Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, Galaxy Quest, um, the Lost World, Jurassic Park, uh, AI, uh, the film AI, oh, wow. Terminator Three, Rise of Machines. I mean, he did all kinds of work. That was amazing. And then, uh, and yeah, he got pulled into MythBusters, and so he he was. I think, what did it say when he started doing on that? Um, sometime in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, and he was with them until they, him and the rest of the build team left the show in, I think, 2014 or so. And he was just, he's like, he was a, a geek's geek. 
or something. <laughs> you know, he's like almost a, a, a hero among geeks because he just, he loved to play. I mean, he was a bit of a geek as well of a, as an engineer. He also uh, played on the um, the fan-made web series Star Trek Continues. He played Hikaru Sulu. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't know that until I, I was just reading an article on him. I'm like, no way, was he? I didn't realize that. What was that competitive robot that, like, the killer robot thing that... Oh, the BattleBots. BattleBots. On Comedy Central? Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I actually knew him there before even Mythbusters. He was one of the yeah. competitors. Yeah, he built a robot, he uh, called himself, uh, called it a Dead Blow. Yes. And then won a couple, uh, won, won a couple Rumbles and was the first season's middleweight runner-up, so not a, not bad. No, uh, no. So, uh, like, whether you've know, whether you knew who Grant was or not, he's been kind of in your life. Oh, I was really hoping I'd get a chance to meet that guy at some point. He was supposed to go to a a Denver Star Fest that I was going to attend uh, as part of their uh, robot con wing of the convention, and he had to uh, last minute bow out because of work, and so I I missed my oppor- that opportunity anyway. And apparently I've missed all my opportunities. I got to go to, uh, it was kind of a Mythbusters Q&A thing. I remember it was like at Penn State York or something where it was a uh, Carrie Byron and Grant. Um, and, and they were there just talking about the show in general. And I at least got to go up and uh, shake his hand afterward and all that. So I, at least I, I, I at least got to see him and uh, in person. Uh, it wasn't like a one-on-one conversation but it was a really cool evening just having them share their stories from the show yeah neat so at least i got an in-person thing yeah he seemed like you'd be just a really fun person to be around and talk to and he he just seemed like you'd be kind of like i want you in my life i want you as a friend (laughs) kind of guy (laughs) well and and as i understood it for uh i was just talking to a friend of mine today about this too and he, he was mentioning apparently where he lived in California when he'd be seen on the street and all that, he was more than happy to indulge any fan in any conversation that they wanted to have. So he was super friendly in person and very accommodating. It was very nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just just a damn shame. That's one of those ones where it just, it happens and he he, he was so young and and so suddenly uh, that's just, wow, it just kind of knocks the wind out of your sails. It does, and then, uh, like we were commiserating before, we're in this age range, so this starts hitting home a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this isn't supposed to happen to someone as young as we are. Right, exactly. (laughs) I mean, we're just children. (laughs) That's right. Now, a couple other news uh, things that came up. Pretty sure uh, the fly hasn't did not come up in a conversation that we had on a previous show for some reason. Yeah, because uh, I was discussing the the pros of cable television and that ability to come across things, and I very recently recaught uh, the Jeff Goldblum version of the fly. Right. Well, it just so happens that I, there was a story that came up, uh, probably just after that or so, that. It's it's been talked about doing another follow up. You know, there was the the Cronenberg's The Fly, and there was a uh, 1989's The Fly Two, which didn't do terribly well. And so it's it's been there's been rumors and speculation and people trying to get another sequel or reboot or or something in this 
universe. Now it, it's, it's back again. It may happen. This time they are looking at possibly even bringing back uh, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum in some you know, manner. I mean, this is all real preliminary and everything. Right now, it's looking like the story will have a female lead, whether that's Gina Davis or not. You know, who knows? Right. But I don't know. Interesting, I guess. Especially after all this time. I mean, The Fly 2 was 89. When was The Fly? It was 86? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's been quite some time. It looks like they're saying that this one will be... It's another one of these things Well, they're going to do like a sequel that will be a sequel from the original film, from the 1986 film, and just forget that The Fly 2 ever happened. <laughs> well, that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> I, I forgot that there was a Fly 2, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, and I struggle to, one, to think if I had even seen it. <laughs> I know I didn't see it. I think I saw the 86 The Fly once, and it was probably on television, I, I can say I've seen that version a couple of times. I actually enjoyed that one and and uh, rather disturbed by how graphical it was. Uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. I remember watching it once and finding it a typical kind of Cronenberg body horror centric. And I was like, yeah, this really isn't me. <laughs> <laughs> But so, uh, if Jeff Goldblum uh, shows up, uh, is he going to still be fused to the door where he got his head blown off? <laughs> yeah, well, that is a good question. That's the, something the article brought up. It's like, not exactly sure how that would happen, you know, since he had his head blown off in the original, but <laughs> sure they'll find a way. Yeah. His head blown off by his own choice, too. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. Uh, maybe his... Uh, It'll be like the little. They'll do like the uh, Star Trek transporter thing, and his, ah. uh, his, you know, his uh, code will be in the memory banks, and they'll be able to resurrect him. Oh my God! I mean, I literally, 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 before we got on here, that was the episode that was on BBC America. <laughs> oh, was it? Uh, Relics the, the, with Scotty? Uh, no, 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 no. The one oh. where Pulaski has to be. Oh. Re she has to be beamed up and use her DNA to reboot her system because she's aging fast. Yeah, yeah. that was a that was a waste of the use of a transporter, in my opinion. But. Yeah, no, they should have <laughs> just let her go. <laughs> yeah. Got Beverly back sooner. Yeah, well, she had to have have a yeah. family. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it's just one of those things, like. It's, it's a new story about something that just makes you go, hmm, okay, interesting. And I don't really have much opinion beyond that. It's just, okay. Right. But, I mean, it's the fly. I mean, if they yeah. get their own interpretation going, they do a good job, I can like it. I, I got no problem with that. Yeah, absolutely. I do like the idea, like you were talking about with Cronenberg, with the body horror and everything. It would be interesting if they go down that same road with the female lead. Mm -hmm. uh, that would just be, I think that's something that isn't typical of horror films. Right. Right. No, because you want your female lead to, to, to have all of her femininity. And if you let her become the, 
diseased, mutated monster. I don't know that I've seen that happen before. Right. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to, to make her, well, I was going to call her the antagonist, but really she's, I think Jeff Goldblum's character was more of a victim mm-hmm. um, in, the, in, the, in that film. That's a victim but, of hubris. Uh, yeah, but it would be interesting to see a female in that position because mm-hmm. that's something I don't think we see very often. So that makes it, I think, is what makes it interesting for me. Well, that and the notion that um, that she's the that she's the lead scientist, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, put put the female lead in the in the power position, in the authority position, in the intellectual position. You can even use that as kind of the uh, the impetus that makes her do her own experiments, you know, outside of the controlled lab because she keeps hitting that glass ceiling or something like that. And she finally says, well, enough with that. I'm not you know, doing this in the lab anymore. I'm going to do this on my own because I'm going to prove everyone right. Yep. And that takes her down the, the same road. So, yeah, you could definitely uh, have a little bit of a... You can make a statement a little bit with the film. Yeah, you could. Um, yeah, no, that was a, and not that I, we want to get into a whole full conversation of the fly, but I always kind of wondered how Brundle afforded to have all that technology in his <laughs> in his loft. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's been too long since I've watched it, so I had no idea if there was a line or anything that said that he was, you know, some genius inventor did he own a company that but he didn't really have to actually be there or and and i kind of came in late to watching it to see if they had that build up and i've totally forgotten if they had but uh, it it still doesn't explain how what looks like uh several billion dollars worth of equipment is just sitting in this thing that's also his apartment (laughs) i could see him I could see them bringing, or I could see them being able to bring him back, but do it in a way with um, maybe she finds his files. Maybe he, we didn't see it, but maybe he recorded, you know, videotape diaries or something. And they can have Jeff Goldblum and they can de age him or something and then, you know, put him on crappy VHS tapes, which would even, would, would, which would help, you know, hide the, the fact that he's, you know, 30 years older. Having watched Gemini Man this week, too, the de-aging thing is, like, all the rage. <laughs> so. Right. So, yeah, you could definitely do something like that. Yeah, the more the more I think about the possibilities, the more interested I am. But then that's also going to be like, you're going to disappoint me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you're going in knowing that that's likely. So then you get to be pleasantly surprised if they don't. <laughs> ah, good point. I'm going to always look for the optimistic way out. <laughs> now we can take that as a little bit of a segue, talking about Star Trek and disappointment. Uh, <laughs> the first trailer for Star Trek Lower Decks uh, was released. Mm. We just were talking about this uh, last episode, the episode before. Yeah. The animated comedy. The trailer came out. I will not be spending $10 a month to watch this show. <laughs> I saw this this trailer. It was something that I was like, oh, okay, that might be fun, you know, doing some Star Trek. It'll be fun. Animated comedy. It'd be curious to see what they come up with. I saw this trailer and I'm like, not interested at all anymore. <laughs> it looks like other stuff that's been out. Like, uh, 
In fact, I imagine it's probably the same animators, if not the same storytellers. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, Final Space. Mm. TBS had a... Uh, yes, I think I remember... And, and that's a that's an irreverent sci-fi comedy that's animated a uh, um, little little heavy at times, little little funny at times. Um, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed at least the first season of it, but it the animation is pretty much the same thing that they're applying to the Star Trek uh, thing, and I'm almost getting that same vibe to that kind of irreverent comedy set in space. Right. I'm afraid it might be like a rehash. (laughs) I saw it and what I was seeing, it was kind of like, oh, crimey. This is good. This is just short attention span comedy. (laughs) And I just get so turned off with that. I've seen that with um, my kids own shows, you know, some of the cartoons and uh, live action shows on, you know, Nickelodeon or, Cartoon Network, whatever, mm-hmm. and it is just oh, you know what? Actually, what it reminded me of is that stupid Teen Titans Go. <laughs> That's the kind of comedy that I that I'm seeing, where it's just everyone being ridiculous, being stupid, being loud, being obnoxious. And the thing I took away from it, I mean, how how many essential Star Trek puns can you pull off in? <laughs> the knock on the boldly going and all of that stuff. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like, do you have to be quite so on the nose? Feels like this is going to be, you know, a, uh, a one episode joke that they're going to try to stretch through an entire season. Right. I, well, yeah, while I'm not spending any money on it, I'm hoping to find a way to watch it at some point just to say that I did. <laughs> I'm not even going to give it the satisfaction. <laughs> I'm not. Um, when the next season of Picard rolls around, I will spring for a you know for all access again for a while. Yeah. If I have to, if I can't get the you know free trial for a month, if I can't get it, whatever, fine. I will spend the ten bucks and uh, for a couple months and watch Picard. And while I'm there, um, if there's Discovery, I might check in and see what's going on with you know the third season of that. That's it. That's anything else. I'm I'm skipping. That's definitely not watching Lower Decks. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I hear you, but uh, yeah, the the Trekkie in me will at least want to give Mm. it a viewing just so I can pan on it as much as I need to. Did the writers they do they have a dictionary and did the page that had subtlety in it get ripped out? Perhaps, but you know that it's also a trailer. um, So yeah, but I'd have to hear from everybody that it is nothing like the trailer for me to bother to, to I'd rather spend the 10 I'd rather spend the money and get Hulu when Orville comes back <laughs> uh yeah well that that's a different conversation altogether because I would love to know if they are actually continuing on with the Orville they are supposed to but I think you know COVID kind of knocked them now for a while too yeah and you can't well when yeah in this day and age with everything going on the longer something goes without a continuation the less likely it is it comes to fruition well as far as i know i think they were okayed greenlit for a third for for a season and then to go to hulu to do it but 
that doesn't mean like you were saying it doesn't with this much time passing yeah they might just go you know we're, we it's going to be easier just to let it go because everyone else is liable to have to like move on yeah cast crew uh writers yeah you, you they're all trying to find something to do and if they find it before you can pull it all together then it doesn't necessarily come together exactly i'm hopeful for that one though oh i am too that uh, like like uh the joke goes uh the some of the best star trek out there is, <laughs> is the orville well, the last news story I have here is kind of a fun one, I thought. You know, in this day and age, there's a lot of uh, push to get rid of a lot of the Confederate Confederate uh, soldier monuments, mm-hmm. you know, uh, statues honoring Confederate soldiers and events. Uh, in my opinion, rightly so. You take that as you will. West Virginia is talking about removing uh, all their statues from the state. There's apparently nine of them scattered throughout the state. And there is a petition going on to replace all these statues with a statue of the Mothman. <laughs> For those who don't know, uh, the Mothman is a, uh, a cryptid. It was first supposedly seen in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, sometime in the mid-60s. The first recorded sighting was a by some men who were digging graves in a cemetery in 66. They said they saw a man-shaped flying low over tr- over the trees. Hmm. And over the next few days, there were more reports, including some volunteer firefighters and uh, a few other people who all described it as a large flying man with gray, that was uh, had red glowing eyes. Hmm. The, uh, the silver bridge collapsed in Point Pleasant, and it killed 46 people. And the catastrophe was actually tied back to Mothman. Who knows what it was, but it's fun that it just kept carrying on and it survived all this time. There's even a Mothman festival in West Virginia, which I've been wanting to get to. I haven't had an opportunity yet. Oh, that'd be kind of fun. There's a Mothman Mm -hmm. movie. Yeah, 2002, there was a movie called The Mothman Prophecies, which I I have not seen. I think I will have to, to, to watch that. That's on. That's been on the uh, the to watch list for some time. After I discovered what the Mothman was, I didn't even know what the Mothman prophecies was about until I, I I found out what the Mothman was long after the Mothman prophecies came out. You know, I think we might have to add it to our lineup. Yeah, I think we should. Just in commemoration of this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently, the Mothman Festival routinely draws about ten to twelve thousand people a year. Wow. Yeah, so that's a, it's just a pretty big festival. So, yeah, I definitely want to try to go check this thing out one of these years. Are you going in costume? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will probably not go in costume the first year. I don't want to, you know, you want to go in you know, easy, go in slow, you know, test the waters first. And, and would it be in poor taste to show up as the tick? <laughs> This story, though, actually gave me the idea, you know, I think every state should be doing this with any of the statues that have become problematic. They should replace them all with, like, the local cryptids, because almost every state has one. Yeah. You know, we've all got our Bigfoots and our Falk monsters and our our, our, our frogmen. El Chupacabras. The Chupacabra. That would be awesome. Just start putting those up everywhere. How cool would that be? You can... People... 
like myself would make that uh, like road trips, you know, to every state to go visit every state's uh, cryptid monuments. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, if you're gonna, if you enjoy controversy, at least do it over your uh, fake stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll we'll get rid of the pop problematic uh, figures of history, and we'll get we'll end up with the. Yeah, well, excuse me, but the most earliest report said that he was gray, not green. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like uh, watching fanboy fights break out instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, race riots. <laughs> <laughs> At least those are more fun to watch. All right, well, that's all the news that I had. Did you have anything else that come up in your uh side of the world no i'm afraid uh the the grant emahara thing just kind of really set my mind to fire this week because yeah I, I i was a huge mythbusters fan and i watched the white rabbit project when the i didn't know about that <clears throat> i i'd never heard of that before until i was just reading the after his passing yeah no the 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 build team folks moved on to do that and that was an interesting show it didn't have quite the bite that uh, Mythbusters had. Suddenly lasted like a season. Yeah, but uh, but it was still a fun show, um, and uh, and it was just it, it was what you wa- you wa- you watched it because you wanted to see that group of three people together mm-hmm. again because they they had such great chemistry in Mythbusters too, and Grant really was that guy that you you just felt like this could be a buddy of yours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was the best part of that show. Those three looked like they were just having an absolute. It looked like three friends that are having a good great time. Well, and as I understand it, uh, they they were there to offset the uh, angst and anxiety of uh, Jamie and Adam working together. <laughs> <laughs> so, regardless, uh, yeah, no. Uh, when when I heard that uh, earlier this week, that just kind of set a tone for the week. Is just that's that's not cool. That. Just, yep. that yeah, that's really true. That, that happens on a Monday, and it's just like, oh, so that's the kind of week this is going to be. Yeah, as the memes all come out, uh, uh, freaking 2020. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Can't get... no Nothing good seems to be coming out of this year. All right, well, with that, we will take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about a film from 1985, Red Sonja. I'm Alan. And I'm James. And we're the hosts of your new favorite podcast, The Test of Time. On our show, we talk about our favorite movies from the past, mostly from the 80s and 90s. There's Forrest Gump, which I hate. Weekend at Bernie's, which I hate. And plenty of movies we both love, but still love to talk about, like Risky Business, Swingers, E.T., Big, and more. We talk about the movies and debate if they still hold up today. In other words, do they stand the test of time? So check us out. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and all the usual podcast places. Check out our website, testoftimepod.com, for a full list. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at testoftimepod. It's test of time to subscribe. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. 
It's the test of time. James and Allen have to say, Do the movies you love still hold up today? Her courage was forged out of fire. Her power, a gift of the gods. Her destiny, to become a glorious new hero. Red Sonia. Only one man on earth is man enough to win her. Don't be a fool. Try it. To love her. To join her great adventure. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Lord Calador. Kill them. Two legends unite to destroy the Earth's greatest evil. God, Majesty, what you want? The world, Eichel! We must find a way in. Your Highness learns first. I make it a rule never to take a woman unless she can beat me in a fair fight. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why not? Brigitte Nielsen. A warrior. A woman. A magnificent new legend. Red Sonja. This another sword and sorcery type of film. <laughs> this was another film that uh, you brought up and said that you used to catch this on the, the cable networks and stuff a lot. Yes. Absolutely. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I had seen it. I said I maybe I saw it once when it was on cable. Watching it again... If I saw it at all, I have no memory of it. As far as I'm concerned, this this was a first time watch for me. Oh, really? Yeah, I have to admit, <laughs> I was a little bit surprised going into this film that it was not as miso- as misogynistic as I was expecting it to be <laughs> coming out of the mid '80s. And then the first credit on there is Arnold Schwarzenegger's name so big it almost <laughs> falls off the frame. And the star of the film gets second billing. <laughs> yeah, that was the part that's a little hard to miss. Because it not only sent second billing, but it lists her as introducing. Right. <laughs> and granted, yeah. going into IMDb, that was her first acting credit that I could find. Right. So. Yeah, no, the introducing is fine. Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up he's the first credit in the film it literally goes from the edge of the frame to the edge of the frame the type is like enormous right and then her comes up introducing bridget and it's like a third of the size i know (laughs) i like they couldn't even put her in the same type face (laughs) no and so i saw that that's like 30 seconds into the movie i'm like an oh it is going to be one of those (laughs) but no, I was actually very surprised that that was really not the case. Uh, we actually have a fairly strong female character who does not 
really need the uh, big strong man to come and save her at every step. There's a couple moments where they almost get to that. There are. But in the end, it's her that beca- that really saves the day. He kind of ends up, I'll, he helps. He like distracts somebody or something like that. But she's the one that actually gets them out of all the problems. Yes. Consider me impressed. <laughs> For 1985 and with Arnold Schwarzenegger as your headline, uh, yeah, that, that, that was actually pretty good. And actually where his character is interjected and where he keeps interjecting himself there is legitimate reason for him to be there, be concerned with the happenings in the movie, and trying to help her. So yes, he he's not just trying to override because me big strong man. Uh, no, he, he there he has a legitimate claim to re- being there and being wanting to help. Yeah, no, this ended up being quite a very progressive film, I think, for the mid-80s. So we got a strong female lead. We have, I've, I've seen it written as lesbian undertones. I don't think it's undertones. <laughs> I think it's pretty much right out in front that the uh, our uh, our lead uh, uh, antagonist there, Queen Gedrin, yeah. absolutely has the hots for Red Sonja. <laughs> yep. There's no undertone there. <laughs> Well, and, and the thing you got to give this movie a little credit for, too, and uh, you, we, did you have a synopsis for us for this? I forgot to do a synopsis for this. <laughs> you want to you want a half-ass a synopsis? Well, I'm looking at the Wikipedia here. I can I can give a try to get a little bit of that. I will have already played the trailer if, if, if a decent one exists. Right. You know what was funny? You say that now. It just reminded me. It's like. I was like in my head writing this days ago, and I just hadn't actually put it keyboard to uh, to to pixel. <laughs> but I had it in my head. Yeah, folks, a little brief glimpse into how this all works. <laughs> yes, Sonya, a young red-haired woman, is attacked and left for dead by soldiers of Queen Gedrin, a despot who murdered Sonya's parents and brother after she scarred the queen's face in rejection of her sexual advances. Answering her cry for revenge, the Red Goddess, apparently Skatchich, according to Wikipedia. I don't know. I, she looked like the, the good witch Glinda from Wizard of Oz to me. Very blurry version. Yes. She appears and, and gives her heightened strength, stamina, and agility and fighting skills on the condition that she never lie with a man. Wait a minute. What does this Wikipedia say? I don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you know, you're pulling. Uh, you have to remember, um, Red Sonja. This movie also comes from a a, a, a uh, comic book series. Yeah, this is another. Um, I don't know if it's just a comic book. It, it was definitely from the. It wasn't actually from novels. Robert E. Howard. Oh yeah, and uh, and that's probably where the comic book series came from. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, the plot of the film is a woman is attacked and left for dead. Uh, she is raised and trained so she can exact her revenge against the evil queen that uh, killed her family. And she uh, finds a reason to do it when the queen uh, steals the powerful amulet of power of, of you know the green glowing thing. <laughs> the talisman. Who plans on using it to control the world. And Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Who's not Conan. <laughs> Because they couldn't get the rights. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, no, actually, and that's a 
that's a thing unto itself. Uh, uh, because I think they're kind of um, if the stories didn't come from the same book series at all. Um, I do know in the comic book series at some point they did actually bring uh, Red Sonja and Conan together. <laughs> no, I think in the book series, no, that that was definitely they were both characters in the same universe. This film, however, was not able to get the rights to Conan. Right. So they weren't able to use the name. So that's why Schwarzenegger shows up as Lord Kalidor. Well, I wanted you to get around to the synopsis uh, before I made the the. the the comments that I wanted to make because what I was taking, what I really enjoyed about this uh, is the, uh, the strong female presence across the board. Um, Mm -hmm. This was like the only people that could touch the talisman were women. It was a, it was a sisterhood that was the protectors of this and we're going to destroy this thing. Um, Lord Calador was simply to make sure that that had happened. Uh, he was going to observe, uh, but the women had to, these priestesses had to do that work. It's uh, uh, Red Sonia's uh, sister is one of these priestesses. Our bad guy is Queen Gedrin, and she she is a strong female lead as well and like this is a very female centric female driven movie and for 1985 that's saying a lot (laughs) i was not expecting this at all i really thought that there would be a if not schwarzenegger there'd be another strong male presence that would have to come in and save the day (laughs) and 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 save sonya and then she would of course oh him her life and love and all that and that doesn't happen in this film that's another thing this film does there are moments when Schwarzenegger is trying very hard to make the moves on Sonya there is that little bit like okay she is attracted to him even though she doesn't want to have any kind of relationship but she can't help but you know she is attracted to him and they do the thing where like oh you know no man can have me unless they can you know best me in a fight and they go toe-to-toe with a sword fight, and they wear each other out <laughs> to the point of collapse. I was like, that's brilliant. Yes, no, that, <laughs> that was amazing. And the fact that neither would give up on the fight to the point, yeah. to the point of sheer exhaustion. Any other film would have her eventually giving in or weakening, and he would you know, be on top of her and holding her down and ha ha ha, now you owe me a kiss or something. Yeah. No, it wasn't in this film. And it, Regardless of what you think about the quality of the rest of the movie, it really scores a lot of points for me for being that way and for not going down the usual roads. Watching this, uh, it was hard. Uh, while I'm watching it, I'm also drawn to the elements that I could compare easily to the more recent Wonder Woman film, where you have these this these strong warrior women, and every and the women are in in control of this world essentially. And I don't think you get one without the other. Yeah, that's a good point. No, I hadn't really thought about it before. But yeah, this was kind of like a, a Wonder Woman before there was Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the man versus woman, the the sword fight, which let's face it, that's what we watch. That's what we watch these for. Uh, yes, 
It's the big giant sabers <laughs> clanging together. <laughs> That's what we live for in these. And that fight with Queen Gedrin at the end was just one of the best that I can say I've seen. Like, they were all out at each other. <laughs> yeah. No, the sword fights were actually really good, even uh, between Sonya and uh, Kalidor. Yes. I thought they weren't too bad. I think they were a little better than even in, um, be- in the Beastmaster, which we just watched. We, we commented mm-hmm. on Beastmaster. Some of the sword fights in that one, you could see it. One and two and three <laughs> yeah. and one and two. And, you know, you this can count one. It off in time. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you could actually see the people like, okay, I'm, I'm set. I'm ready. Okay, clang. <laughs> uh, this one, I felt like the, the sword play was much more uh, fluid. Yes, and, and dangerous. Uh, when Red Sonia was coming at you with her sword, you better know what you're doing or get the hell out of her way. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> while the twirl around your body thing can be a little overdone, she actually did it in a way her flourish actually looked defensive and offensive all at the same time like a lot of them when they do that they back off they spin the sword and haha i'm ready again she was spinning the sword going into the fight and like, yeah yeah I'm like holy jesus she's a cuisinart coming at you <laughs> and i really like the fact that they still it's still, you know, the man's world because mm-hmm. all the men, none of them take her seriously. Right. And then, of course, she then she kicks everyone's ass. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah. Uh, oh, God, why have I forgotten his, uh, the character's name? Uh, the, the guy uh, who uh, owns the road that she has to cross. Oh, Brytag? Brytag, yeah. Uh, the, the whole, uh, her going, are your men going to let me go? when I kill you and he, he's right. just laughing it off all oh, when you kill me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's it. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Uh, this, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stop using the word brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was something that really surprised me. And that's the, it, it, that was my big takeaway from the film. It's an enjoyable watch. I think, like the Beastmaster, I think is one that you could more easily go back and rewatch and just kind of do that same, uh, like we were talking about, like uh, you want something on in the background. Mm-hmm. Beastmaster is great for that. This one, I, for one reason or another, I don't think it works as well. I almost think there's actually a little bit more to this one where you actually kind of want to pay attention, but there are moments in the film too, where you're, really wishing you didn't have to pay attention (laughs) right i have to say one of the things that was off-putting in this film for me honestly was the music yes yes i've heard people actually really rave about the music in this film and i think the music in the film is good i don't think this music in the film is good (laughs) i think it's some awesome pieces I think it's just scored horribly with this film. Yeah, and because they really only had the one piece, it gets overplayed. Uh, I mean, it, it's the theme song that just keeps coming back. And, right. and it's used for every situation. And anytime as soon as they're about to get into battle, it's the same 
thing. Uh, they're riding across the the open plains. They're playing that song. And I'm like, okay, okay, do you got anything else? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ennio Morricone did the music uh, for the film. And yeah, I, it was one, it's another one of those films where they've got like the action scene. Her sister is running away after the, uh, the, the temple has been raided. And the sister's trying to escape to, so she can you know, warn Kalidor uh, or Sonya or whoever. And she's trying to get a, a, across the bridge. or Oh, she's going down the zip line. And they're shooting arrows. And it's this action music, action music. And she gets to the other side of the, of the chasm. And then the actual action kind of stops because then Kalidor is there. He's like picking her up. He's taking her over to the tree and he's pulling out the arrow. And the whole time, the action music is still playing. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, did you guys miss a cue? <laughs> <laughs> but then more soldiers do show up. Right, yeah. And, start, and swords start getting swung again. It's like, okay, action scene works again. But it's like... So you, I, you just didn't want to stop it? You couldn't have, like, toned it down a little bit, you know? Maybe slowed it down for a little and then then sped it, warmed it back up, you know, for the more sword fight? Or, yeah, it just, it felt a little out of place. And, and since you're kind of on that whole uh, missing tone and, and, and missing those beats where you need to have them, uh, one of the things that threw me off immediately after watching this for the first time in a while. Uh, and yes, this was one of those ones. It was on cable all the time. I'd catch it all the time. Kalidor has gotten Red Sonia, brings her hit her to her sister. Her sister relays what's going on as she's dying. And her sister dies. Sonia's taking a moment and Kalidor is already like, Come on, we gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing we can do here. Let's move. I'm like seriously, dude? Can she can, <laughs> can, can she get a second, please? <laughs> uh, that that threw me off so much because like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> like, did someone told Arnold you gotta read your lines now? Well, apparently Arnold was only on set for a few days. Oh, he well. was actually. He was actually a little surprised when he saw the final film about how much he was actually in the film because apparently they took what he filmed and really stretched it out and you know kept putting him in and uh, yeah he was uh, pretty amazed that he actually got to the point where he was essentially a co-star right. in the film he shows up to do cameos and next thing you know he's a co-star because he's top billing and all that there are while not as misogynistic as you were expecting it to be didn't mean that it wasn't there um, yeah no yeah because as much as sonya is responsible for the things that are happening in this they still manage to sneak in those unnecessary moments like um if there's something heavy to <laughs> To, to be lifted and all that, we have to make it as dramatic as possible with Arnold to to, yeah. to do it. So it's now not the woman saving the day in this case. It's the guy. He he's got a cat. He's got to hold up the entire building for a split second while everybody gets out. And, right, right. Um, the little kid gets trapped and he's got to lift the heavy thing. It still kind of falls. In the on the right side for me because for the most part he's either there he's either helping save everyone or he's there to help save the men 
Right. It's still not really the damsel in distress. No, no, no. And I give them full credit for that. At no point is he actually saving her in most cases. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he might be a distraction. He might be a way to just kind of advance, but it's not him saving her. But they do get in those moments where it's got... Uh, actually, the, the one that's another laughable moment for me is like that it's at the end uh, where the... Uh, the beam has fallen down. The kid's trapped on the other side, and they want to save the prince uh, as well. Um, so he's got to lift up the big beam so that the kid can get out from the other side. And I'm just noting, like, Arnold, why don't you move that giant brick off the beam, and it might be a little lighter to, <laughs> to lift. You could, maybe, you could maybe put it under the beam. You could. <laughs> to hold it up. Yeah, I'm like... I think you're overthinking this, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit, we talked, you know, a little bit about the, the both the main characters, but uh, Bridget Nielsen, is it Nielsen or Nelson? I think it's Nielsen. That's how I've always heard. Okay, Bridget, yeah, it's spelled, okay, it's spelled Nielsen. So Bridget Nielsen, what do you think about her? This is, like you said, this is like her first um, major motion picture kind of role. I'm not familiar with much else beyond this, if I'm honest. Uh, actually, she shows up quite a bit in the 80s and in actually fairly big things. Like, uh, following Red Sonia, she's in Rocky IV. Um, she's in Cobra. Um, so oh, she was in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Beverly Hills Cop 2. In fact, she was the, like, she's like the prime... Um, there is a male antagonist, but she is the female antagonist. And she has a big presence in, in that film for that part so um but yeah like she the mid 80s she kind of rocked it there for a while um and then kind of faded from there um i really enjoyed her as, right out of the gate as red sonia though because i loved her accent in that and i loved her presence uh, i have to admit her accent kept throwing me a little bit because the way her voice in this film and with that accent, I swear to God, it was like having Deanna Troy swinging swords ah. throughout the film. <laughs> <laughs> is that where your mind went with that? It's like Marina Sirtis. Where, where is, where is she? I keep hearing her. <laughs> yeah, I could see where you get a bit of that, but uh, <laughs> like without her losing femininity, she had. Uh, her voice had strength and presence when she yeah was, absolutely when she was speaking so uh, yeah no I think she did fantastic I I, I liked her as Red Sonia I could have seen I'm guessing this film did not do fantastic in the box office all right yeah I just uh, we just looked this up uh, the budget was about 18 million and it only made. God, is that right? It only made it made less than twenty three million on opening weekend. Uh, Not twenty three million. Two million. No, uh, two million. Excuse me. Yeah, it made two million three hundred. Yeah, worldwide 000. gross was less than seven million dollars. Ouch. Yeah, that's a real damn shame because honestly, I would have liked to have seen a Red Sonia, you know, the adventure continues <laughs> or no, something. I, you know, I would have loved to have seen a, a series of films with her. No, in absolutely. this character, yeah, no, I, I, I think there was a lot more potential here. Uh, I mean, 
way more. I I would have put this with more potential than uh, the Conan movies. It's directed by Richard Fleischer, who we have talked about in the past. He directed uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Wondering how much influence someone like that has on the film, as far as you know, some of the themes that we are we're discussing about. Um, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with the writers as well. Uh, Clive Exton and George McDonald Frazier, um, not familiar, not names that really, you know, scream out uh, anything. I find it interesting that Fleischer's uh, director credit prior to this actually was a Conan movie. Oh, did he do one he of the Conan? He did Conans? Conan the Destroyer, which I believe was the sequel. Yes, yes, Interesting. Oh, that's where I saw. I was going to say I thought Dino De Laurentiis was involved in this somewhere, but his, his production company is the one that. Yes, uh, that was the production okay. company. And although they did right. splash his name fairly large across the screen, <laughs> they did. Whether he really had anything to do with it is another story. But yeah, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger, we talked about pretty much. Uh, Sandal Bergman, who played Queen Gedrin, I think I read somewhere where she was actually. Um, they actually wanted her for Red Sonia, and she turned it down. Because she apparently had done something sort of, she'd kind of done like the the warrior woman or something in a previous film. Oh, and she Conan was the in Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. Right. She didn't want to be. She didn't want to do that again. She didn't want to be, you know, typecast as the 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 hero queen or the warrior queen or anything. And so she wanted to be the bad person. So like, that yeah, nice. I like her. I, I like her attitude. And, and I actually, uh, she was effective as the. Uh, the evil queen. <laughs> she was effective. I think she was a little one note. If there was any kind of real problem with this film, she's kind of the one note. She's just evil because she's evil right. and she's mad at Sonya because she scratched your face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it takes it back to like the original, like Lex Luthor, you know, who wants vengeance against Superman because his, you made my hair fall out. Right. Like- <laughs> Dude, you got to learn to let it go. <laughs> uh, and yes, she did kind of have that. Uh, like, I love her presence, but yes, the character uh, didn't have a whole lot of motivation. <laughs> no. Yeah, that, thank you. Yeah, the motivation was definitely not was missing. Uh, she could she could have used a little backstory. <laughs> well, that and this whole thing with the talisman thing, I get the uh, notion that uh, you want this uh, ultra-powerful weapon, but... Literally everyone in this world knows that this thing is a time bomb that's going to destroy the world. And, right. And she seems the only one not getting on board with that idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone around her, 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 her high advisor and everyone like, you need to, to throw this thing away. <laughs> yeah. But when her high, when her advisor is busy going, maybe a few less candles because <laughs> the talisman yeah. takes its power from light and right and he's suggesting maybe we tone this down a little bit <laughs> right yeah just the very fact that the the sect that has been protecting this thing for who knows how many generations have finally said you know what we need to throw this thing away <laughs> maybe that would be the big clue that this is not something you should mess with yeah this is not this is not your toy to play with. <laughs> the women that have been born and raised with the single goal <laughs> are willing to let this thing go. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes, but none of them had their face scratched by some fiery redhead. Yes. They don't understand. They don't. They don't. I, I have to do that. Well, and that, that's the thing. And that, that's the other part. Again, not putting it on the actor. I'm putting it on the character in the way it was written. It, it, it's like, it's like, okay, so she, she wants to rule the world, but she's prepared, but she's not grasping that it's about to be destroyed. She wants this redhead, but she's really mad at her because she scratched her. oh like you can't have any of this if all of it blows up (laughs) so (laughs) not the greatest of bad guys but but she played it well we should talk about the other two uh men that join her join her on her quest prince tarn the uh, rather spoiled heir of hablock and his uh Manservant and protector Falcon. These are the two characters that I thought, as soon as they were introduced, I'm like, oh, these are the ones I'm going to get really tired of really quick. (laughs) But I have to give credit where credit is due. Prince Tarn is the young, spoiled brat. He's the one that actually ends up going on like the hero's journey. He's the one that actually has some character development. He goes from the spoiled, you'll do it because I'm the king or the prince or whatever he is. And he actually learns about self-sacrifice. He actually learns about loyalty. He learns about friendship on this quest. I'm like, oh, that's another little bit of an impressive uh, story elements I wouldn't expect from a mid-80s movie. The wrinkle that's in there, too, is Red Sonja is the mentor. Uh, yes. So Red Sonia, the female lead, is the mentor to the young misogynistic male. I mean, he comes off right away going, Wom-, he's calling him, calling her woman, and uh, maybe I'll make you my queen. And uh, mm-hmm. basically, I can own you. And she is not having any of it. And he is actually learning. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I think. You know, his joke sort of wears thin <laughs> quickly. Uh, but I was impressed that he does grow. The character grows. I thought that was really good. Uh, a little disappointing that, I, well, I don't know. I, I kept waiting for Falcon to be the one to kind of, um, I was expecting Falcon to be the one to step up and, and like put the boy right. But you, like you said, you're, you're right. It's Sonya that does it. Falcon is still the observer through mm-hmm. the whole thing. He doesn't really change much. No. Um, but you do get the feeling and the impression that despite the fact that this kid abuses the hell out of him, he does have fondness for the boy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that great... I love that little scene because there's it's just done with like glances and looks when they get to uh, Gedrin's castle. And they, they have to go find a way in, and, and what should we do? We need to climb up here. And you see, you know, Falcon kind of, you know, do that little nod at at uh, Sonya. He does a little nod at Tarn, and she's like, we'll need someone to stay here and guard the door. Yeah. <laughs> and like, oh, well, we need to go. You need me to help. And yeah, this, could you do it? You know. I'll do it. I'm a brave young warrior. Sure. <laughs> I liked it. That was kind of cute. <laughs> it was uh, 
Although I needed somebody to slap him if he said "haya" one more time. <laughs> yeah, I. That's yeah. There, there was definitely. Oh, he's the Asian one. He must know martial arts. Yeah. <laughs> and admittedly, he did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He was an impressive. Ernie Ray's Junior. Yeah. I mean, even when he's practicing, he's screaming "haya," <laughs> like. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there is that. So where the film, you know, manages to escape the misogyny, it it doesn't exactly escape all the racism. (laughs) (laughs) No. I I think it meant well. (laughs) It just just carried its joke a little too far. Yeah, but it still ended up being kind of an enjoyable watch for me. I, I... like the film it was a good what i would consider although the budget and everything at the time certainly wasn't what you would consider a b film budget no it ends up being a, a b movie but it's a damn fun b movie it is yeah no I, and this is why it was one of those ones that when it's on on a saturday afternoon on whichever channel at the time uh, it was the one that i I'd put on and I'd sit there and and it became kind of uh, background stuff. After I'd watched it once, uh, I was happy to have this as my my background uh, entertainment while doing other things. Kind of sorry. I mean, Beastmaster, I can go and watch anytime because it's a it's included with Prime. Mm-hmm. This one is not. You do have to rent it from. You know, it's on available on many different streaming services, but you do have to rent it. Yeah, I. I think I might look for a DVD or a Blu-ray or something because I kind of would like to watch this again or just have it around to just watch on occasion. I might have to get this from the library or something at some point. Well, and admittedly, uh, even though I only had it for the two-day rental that uh, that you get with Prime, I, I did manage to watch it twice. Did you? Okay, I watched it off of Google Play, and the downside of that is once you finished it, it's gone. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, uh, with Amazon Prime, you get it for at least 48 hours. uh, Oh, nice. After you've kicked it off the first time, you got 30 days to watch it once you rent it, but uh, once you've kicked it off, you've got 48 hours. So I was able to get two viewings in, um, which then, uh, did I miss something or, or, or not? What was the deal with uh, Gedrin's pet spider? She, oh, she had a puppet? giant pet spider in that, like, went nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they went to all the trouble to have this giant spider <laughs> that she walked up and pet, and I don't remember it showing up. <laughs> yeah, well, especially because wasn't her... Wasn't her, like, little advisor or someone... I thought someone called him something about being the, the, the black spider or something like that, too. Hmm. You definitely were expecting something more spider to come out of the th- out of this story. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it was just like, we borrowed it off the set of the Gilligan's Island episode where there was a giant spider. I had to throw that in there because, again, I wanted your take on that. I, they put it in there. I saw the thing. But it had... Nothing to do with anything. You uh, you mentioned uh, some of the uh, the actors and some of the other stuff that they've done. Um, other than uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and recognizing the name of Bridget Nielsen, the na- uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. is also a name I've heard of. But then I looked on his filmographies and stuff, and 
not much. You you seem to come up with some other things that you thought were impressive or well, well, noteworthy. Least, uh, something that jumped out at me because uh, uh, I mean I, I was a fan of the live action uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I didn't realize that was him. Uh, he. He, he was the Asian kid that befriended the turtles in the second movie, in The Secret of the Ooze. Oh, okay. So he was the pizza boy that uh, ended up becoming friends with the turtles and fighting the Foot Clan. Um, so, I, I, All right. I, That's where I know the name from. Yes, exactly. So I, I was a little impressed. With, well, impressed might be a little hard, a little strong. Um uh, apparently, he made an appearance in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I never got around to actually watching that in its entirety, so uh, skip that, miss that one. You didn't necessarily miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> and this is from a longtime Indiana Jones fan, so. Uh, but no, like, uh, and then uh, the guy that played Falcon. While I was watching it, I'm like, I've seen this guy in other things before, and I didn't realize he had been in uh, the movie Dune. He he was Raban, which was uh, one of the Harkonnens. Uh, I really liked the original Dune movie. Uh, oh. And, and he was the Beast Raban. Um, so he, w- he was supposed to be related to Sting. You don't see the resemblance? <laughs> That was the the big fat one that floated around, right? No, 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 no. That was like his uncle. He was the oh. he was the the guy that didn't float, but um, uh, was often squeezing. Uh, uh, um, the the fat guy was going up to that guy and squeezing his face all the time and all that. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. He was kind of his uh, little warrior guy that he would. Gotcha. Send out. All right. But yeah, no, I was like, okay, that's where I saw him, and. Uh, and actually, Dune came before uh, Red Sonja. So, like Queen Gedrin, she was in the original Conan, mm-hmm. and, and a number of other things like Airplane Two, the sequel. Cool. <laughs> yeah, right. We just watched that not all that long ago. And then, like I said, uh, Brigitte, she had a big, big run in the eighties. So, and interestingly enough, and I didn't know this because I didn't. I, it's not like I've been a longtime Rocky fan or anything, but I'm familiar with a good hunk of the movies. And she had played, uh, I, I believe she played like the girlfriend or something of the Russian boxer in, right, right. in, in okay. Rocky Four. What I yeah, did, that makes sense. What I didn't know is, I guess she married the boxer or got married at some point, and she makes an appearance in Creed Two as the same character. Nice. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and that just came out in 2018. So she's recently done that. So Nice. Yeah, so uh, it was a pleasant surprise to see uh, some of these folks that uh, they don't seem instantly recognizable, but they've actually been in a lot of things that uh, you and I know. Yeah, nice. Yeah, interesting. Well, I did throw out on social media that we're going to be watching this film. As we do. And we got some comments on the uh, Facebook group over at the go to facebook.com and search for Time Shifters Podcast. Uh, you'll find uh, our page and our group, but our group is where you're going to get all the go- all the comments and the discussions. Uh, Evelyn Moose commented, she's, uh, when I posted the, the, the link that I was watching it, I mentioned that it was not nearly as misogynistic as I was expecting. 
And she says, uh, yeah, not very misogynistic movie considering it's sort of based on the Gorian aesthetic. Now, I actually had to go look up Gorian. <laughs> that is, uh, that is a, uh, it's based on the philosophy espoused in John Norman's long-running sword and planet novel Chronicles of Counter-Earth. Effectively, it's a, uh, talking about pretty much what you were expecting or what I was sort of expecting, the sort of the, the female submission, the, uh, the, the female, you know, sex slave kind of thing, the, um, yeah, wearing nothing but a you know chain mail and a loincloth kind of stuff. Subjugated. She goes to say, uh, she says, I mean, there is some TNA, but not that much really, and the women are all in powerful roles. She says Schwarzenegger's character is basically a side quest. That's a really great way to put it. <laughs> Rod Barnett from over at the Nashy Cast and the Bloody Pit podcast, he says, I have no defense for liking the film Red Sonja. No reason for rewatching it. No reason for enjoying it. No reason for being very happy to own it on DVD. It is without a, without a doubt a bad film. Terrible, in fact, despite being directed by Richard Fleischer, having a script co-written by George MacDonald Fraser, and boasting a fantastic score by Ennio Morricone. It is an absolutely awful movie. All the acting is bad. The story is so thin it wouldn't pass for a good comic book tale. The kid character is irritatingly obnoxious, and the villain is just silly. So why do I love it so? I just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And all of those are very fair comments. (laughs) Fair comments, but I think a little overly harsh. I I think those are a little overly harsh. I, I really do. I think he's also going for comedic effect. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Evelyn responded to his question. She says, because it's just nice and fun. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just watch them because it's fun. Uh, Matthew Kowalski says a great soundtrack and production values. The film itself, however, is straight bad. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of comments about the soundtrack. And like I said, I think it is a great score outside of the movie. Right. I think this would be, you know, you could put this on a CD and you could have fun. If this is like one of those ones you were going to be like, I don't know, mowing your lawn and you're going to walk faster. You're going to be driving the car. You're going to want to roll the windows down and have the, the horns blaring or something. But in the film, I don't think it works so much. It wasn't used effectively in the film. There, 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 <laughs> yes. There's some good score there. It wasn't edited into the film properly. Martin Casserly, he's uh, one of the hosts of uh, I Saw That Years Ago. He says, ooh, that's a tough watch. You have my sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds like he loves it. Yeah. Evelyn responded to him that she says, I disagree, but I'm so old I saw it in the theater, and it's comfort. It's a comfort movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> it is that indeed. But that's the that's all the comments we got uh, just on the Facebook group. We didn't get anything on Twitter, but uh, yeah, interesting, interesting that there's so many people that you know responded. It is not the best movie, but it's still a lot of fun. Uh, I do think maybe Rod is being like you said. Maybe he's going for the humor, or maybe he's just being a little unfairly harsh. I think there's a little bit more to this film than maybe maybe he hasn't watched it in a while or or. You know, there's, you never know. Um, and maybe if you watch it more than once, you start really noticing, you know, the flaws more. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes, there are some definitely flaws. There's some plot points. There's, you know, uh, the the uh, the advisor gets crushed by the giant round door, which they also escape from. And you really and think there should there. be like a, there should be a stain. <laughs> yeah, at least. <laughs> you know, I even missed that little point. 
<laughs> well, because uh, the advisor seemed like such a, uh, he almost didn't need to even be there. Like, yeah, no. At true. no point did she ever take his advice, <laughs> and he wasn't much better than a minion. So, I think I'm gonna have to own this film. I kind of, I just. Especially after having watched it once, and now after sitting and talking about it, it's like I want to watch this movie again. Yes, I may have to throw down the the, the three dollars and just to watch it again before I actually get the DVD. <laughs> I'm gonna get this on DVD or Blu-ray. So thanks for bringing this uh, bringing this film to me. I I feel I feel like a better person having watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know. That might be an overstatement. That, Let's just say I have another film in the in, in the quiver of just the I want to watch a film and have fun. And, and it is. Uh, we we could talk about however we feel about uh, the fact that it it, it, it was very accepting uh, of of uh, strong female leads and female power and all that. And for 1985, that was a big that's a big deal. And I don't want to play into that, but I almost wonder how much of that led into its box office take. That wondering that too, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to actually vocalize it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not afraid to vocalize it because uh, I, I don't. I am not afraid to say I don't know. I'd like to think better angels, and maybe people were just bored. They just didn't like that. Well, Film. Who knows what else came out that year? Right. right. Yeah. Like I. I mean, I haven't reviewed what was on the docket for that that year and that month when it came out. That maybe it just it didn't hit home with audiences because everybody was out watching something else. But it's hard to not also bring that back when this was nestled into all the time of Conan and Beastmaster and all those other ones. Um, where there are strong male leads, and now there's a female lead, and suddenly that's the one that doesn't do okay. Uh, <laughs> kind of hard not to think about it, but I can't say for sure, so take it for what it is. I really wish I had gone back and like tried to find some uh, reviews from the time to see what uh, the critics uh, said about it. Um, I need to start doing that. When we watch the films, I need to try to start digging up actual reviews of the time to see, you know, why it didn't do well or why it did do well, what people thought about it. Let's make that the challenge for our second season. <laughs> yes. We will add a little more research uh, to to what we're doing because it's fun and because we want to be informative. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll dig up. I've got a, uh, I got the, uh, the giant big old book you used to be able to buy from Blockbuster that has all the movie reviews in it. I should look it up in that. Oh, wow. Should have done that. That's cool. Oh, I, I should keep that down here with me. I need to bring that down here to the uh, podcasting desk. I think it's upstairs in the living room. I'll have to bring it down here. <laughs> bring it to the sanctum. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this show. Tom, thank you again. A fun film to, to watch and a fun film to talk about. Uh, you, whether you like it or not, I think you can't deny that this is a fun film to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lo love it or hate it. Think it's goofy or think it, uh, it, it was groundbreaking. It's uh, You have something to say. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to make a big departure from our last couple films for our next episode previous co-host and all-around great guy matt is going to come back and he's bringing with him falling down i mentioned this on our last episode that is going to be a fun time it's going to be great having his voice back on the show for an episode 
I'm looking forward to hearing from him. This will be his uh, four-year podcast anniversary. So, yay him. We'll talk about that more uh, on the, the next show. I'm excited to uh, spend some time with my predecessor. That's right. Yes, you guys have not met yet. No. Oh, but I hope you guys get along. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm capable of nice. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. Thank every, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please, any feedback or anything, send it to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or join us on the Facebook group. We'd be happy to have any comments there as well. Until we uh, talk to you next time, we'll say goodbye. See you.